Hey everyone, my name's Monica. And I'm Josh. And we, we rate ratings. Because people have opinions. But there are two sides to every story. everybody to this episode. Monica, how are you doing today? Oh, all around, you know, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Summerless, schoolless, Josh? <laughs> I'm doing decent. We'll say decent. Yeah. So Josh, who is our guest for today and why are we talking to them? Our guest is Allison Scrivener, and she is a psychology professor here at UA, um, and we are interviewing her today because I have had her as a professor. Oh. For those of you who do not know, I am a psychology minor. Don't really look or act like it, considering I've only taken like four psych classes, but it's okay. But she is one of the four I've taken. I took her this fall, this past fall, so the first full semester of online classes, because spring classes is really just half the semester, but I had her entirely online, entirely virtual, and entirely asynchronous. I took her psychology of learning class, and she's a great professor. She's very funny. Um, She loves animals, and that is like a pillar of my personality. is I love animals and any professor that has an excuse to first of all talk about animals and talk about pets and then show their pets is a professor that I love and I think you guys will enjoy her as well I like that all her rate my professors mentioned your dog and um just a side note when I emailed her through her professional UA email her uh icon profile pictures of her dog which I loved we love that we Um, do love that and this is no cat person or dog person debate okay we are not even going to go into that Monica and I are both cat parents so I don't think you want to step into that conversation anyways but just because I own cats does not mean I don't like dogs have you ever had that? Have you ever had people say that to you? You mentioned what pet, what pets you have. I go, I have two cats, and they go, oh, so you don't like dogs? I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? Well, I've had multiple people tell me that. I'm like, what is that? First of all, what is that? First of all, I'm glad you said that. I'm not five two. I'm five three. <laughs> I love that Nicki Minaj meme. But first of all, that's not true, in the slightest. I'd have to find the right dog for me. Because I can't really deal with hyperactivity. It's just not for me. But there's plenty of dogs out there. Like, R.I.P. She's not dead, but, you know, she's off the internet. Jenna Marbles. Oh, I love her dog. Jenna Marbles, her dog that she had most recently, Bunny, her greyhound. I was looking into it, and greyhounds are, like, so gentle and, like, quiet animals. I'm like, sign me up. Sign me up. And second of all greyhounds are always almost always in high kill shelters like if they're not racing anymore they're like "Mm, sayonara i'm like what is that supposed to mean i'm like what is that supposed to mean anyways 
But yes, just because I own two cats, I would own a dog. I've just got to find the right dog. I love dogs. I just like cats and own cats because they're easier to me. When we come back, we'll be talking with Allison Scribner. See you guys later. back with Allison Scribner. How are you doing today, Allison? Good, how are you? We're doing all right. So yeah, as we're getting started, uh, here at the UA, in what departments do you teach and how long have you been teaching here at the UA? So I teach in the psych department and um, I also am kind of split between psychology and early college, which is um, high school students, um, so I do some of their online stuff, and officially I've been here since 2016, um, but I went to undergrad and graduate here, um, so I also taught classes here then as well, so um, it's been a long time, I guess, technically. And when it comes to teaching psychology, what makes you so passionate about psychology and why was it a subject you gravitated towards and you love teaching? Um, so I wasn't technically a psych major, um, but when I first took my 101 class, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, there's so many topics and it's so diverse in psychology that um, you always have something new to talk about. Um, it's really interesting, I think. And I think that because I can relate to it and students can also relate to it and find a little bit of themselves in psychology, that it makes it really rewarding to talk about because I can see like the connection, maybe not with like every single topic, but um, with some along the way where they're just like, oh, I see some of myself in this, or I see uh, my friend in this, or my family in this. And I think that makes it really uh, rewarding to teach psychology, various subjects. That was similar to me. I took psychology in high school, junior year, and then I took a two-year break from it. So I'm majoring in news media we've talked about this monica but i decided to take intro to psych again and on a whim because i had a spring semester course open because i already took sociology as a behavioral science but it just wasn't for me so i took um intro to psych and a grad student taught it and he was the coolest guy ever and then i ended up minoring in it and so allison how would you describe your teaching style so I try to be relatable um, and uh, I guess kind of down to earth um, in how I present material. Um, and I like for students to be able to completely comprehend what I'm saying. And because I do like that personal connection of they see themselves in this material, I try to the best I can put it in a way that they understand or examples that make sense to them um, in college 
or with early college, you know, that's high school students. So I have to think a little bit younger in that case. Um, but I would say, like, I get really excited about what I'm talking about um, in psychology um, in general. And um, I like to be just somebody that they feel safe talking to. And, you know, not somebody that knows everything, but somebody that can learn things with them. Um, so that there's not really this huge barrier between me and my students because I don't really like that. And what would you say your like main aim in teaching is and why? My main aim um, is for them to learn something that they are going to use maybe not today or maybe not like next year, but to learn something life-wise that helps them somewhere. Um, so if we're talking about developmental psychology, um, then that might not be something that they can really apply currently, but one day, hopefully it'll help them. We're talking about like cycle learning and reinforcing behavior that might not really matter to them now. Um, but hopefully like someday in their life, it'll be like, this is a useful topic now. Um, so like basic life skills, um, and application. This is sort of something I thought of on the fly, but I took you online over the fall, so I didn't actually have you in person, but um, for the viewers or for the listeners, you're the first professor I've had that's like visibly tattooed and has piercings, which I think is really cool. I think it's sort of representation that isn't talked about enough in sort of like expression. Have college students been generally receptive and like cool about how you present yourself? And then caveat to that, how has UA faculty and staff responded to that? So students have always been pretty cool with it. Even when I was a graduate student, I was tattooed. I wasn't probably as tattooed, um, but I would hear them say, like when I came into the room, or I would be standing outside with them and they wouldn't know that I was the one teaching this class, even as a faculty member sometimes. And they're like, that was our teacher. Our teacher has tattoos. And that's pretty much the end of it. Some of them ask me like, oh, where do you get your tattoos? And um, so that's, I guess that's kind of funny, but uh, I've never had them like complain about it. I try not to be distracting with it. So like on the first day, I don't usually come in with like full tank top. Um, but I also don't hide them. And uh, as far as faculty, the psychology department, of course, I went to graduate school here. So they knew what they were getting when they hired me. Um, and I think probably the place I worked before didn't. And so I had like full black suit, no chest tattoos. And I went to the interview with blonde hair. And when I showed up to work, I had all the tattoos and piercings and um, blue hair. And so I think they were a little bit, a little bit frightened. Um, but as far as like UA psych department, they knew. So like, even when I was wearing a black suit, they're like, they knew. So um, it's never been an issue in the psychology department, probably. Um, my other department didn't know to the extent that I was tattooed, but that's the, that's the only thing. And 
wrapping this up, this introductory section up, I know like many psychology professors, especially in grad school, you guys teach a variety of topics. It's not necessarily just one class. And you've taught um, psychology of learning, um, like gender psychology. Uh, there's like a class that majors can take that's like career paths in psychology, uh, 321 and entry level, intro to psych, and then honor psychology. Which of these courses were your, or is your favorite to teach and why out of all of them? I really love psych of learning. It was the class that I took in undergrad that um, made me want to go to graduate school. And so it was also the first class that I was thrown into as a graduate student. And um, that wasn't my little mini intro class that they give graduate students. And so it was kind of terrifying to begin with because I felt like such a pressure to really do well in this class because it was a class that was pretty, uh, I guess, it shaped my future so hard, you know. And so I love Psych of Learning. I think it's really interesting. I think it is something that you can apply whether you have like dogs, you know, kids, and it's just, it covers a lot of different areas. Um, and I like my early college intros because high school kids are really excited about everything. And so that's nice. And probably my, I have some senior seminars that I've basically developed to be exactly what I want them to be and go really in depth and stuff that I'm interested in. So I really like those as well. So those are probably, I guess, top three or so. All right. Well, going into your reviews, um, quick question. Have you ever looked at your Rate My Professors? I think you may have mentioned over email that you haven't. Is that true or? I have not. When I was in graduate school, I might have, but not in many years. All right. Well, your overall score on Rate My Professor is a 4.5 out of 5, which Josh, do the math for me right quick. It's a 9 out of 10. All right. And so that's like your overall score. And then your level of difficulty is a 2.3 out of 5. So... That's like just under five. It's right. like a 4.6 out of 10. Right. So that's how like difficult people think your classes are, which again, pretty low. And then 94% of users who reviewed you would take you again. Awesome. So just, yeah. So Josh, you want to get into the uh, first one real quick? Okay. Yeah. So this is Intro to Psych, so Psych 101, and it is from March 2017, and it's a 5 out of 5. And it says, this was the first class I took through UA Early College, and I'm so happy I took it. You must read the textbook and take notes to do well, but as long as you don't procrastinate, you should do fine. She gives you a lot of cool videos to watch, and her online lectures are interesting. Tests and quizzes are very easy. I highly recommend. And a similar review mentions the use of personal stories to make the material more relatable and interesting. And something I wanted to ask right off the bat is, um, 
I'm in news media and I'm also in psychology and professors in either department have mixed feelings on the use of textbooks, but I've noticed psychology professors typically want their students to use the textbooks and utilize the textbooks. Why should students get in the habit of reading the text required in their courses and go beyond just listening to lectures and taking notes? So personally, I would think it would be really helpful because even though my lectures are pretty long and I cover a pretty good amount of material, it's usually material that um, I really enjoy. So that's probably usually the biggest chunk of my class. Psych of learning is really big in my 101s um, because I really enjoy it. But there is so much material out there and psychology is so large um, with the amount of material that you can digest that students really could get in that textbook and find something that I didn't even really talk about and be like, oh, this is fascinating. Oh, this relates to me. This is something that, you know, is relevant in my life. Um, and so they can find that personal connection or something that helps them, you know, that maybe I didn't even have the chance or the time to present. And in terms of visual aids, as the reviews mentioned, what makes visual aids like videos an important aspect to intro to psychology specifically? So it takes the material from being cut and dry in a textbook and textbooks are as, you know, online interactive as they can be, but it takes it and gives them some kind of example like, oh, that was the dog that was doing, you know, this trick and that was the demonstration um, that the textbook was talking about. And I think it forms a memory that means that they learn something deeper and it sticks with them better. And it's just like that additional visual aid that I think is really important to get some kind of like memory of an example, especially in an online class where it's textbook and my lectures. Um, so they do have a lot of YouTube videos and links um, and I update those to try to keep them new and fresh, but you know, uh, some of them are just funny, um, but I think it helps them to remember stuff. So the next review we have is Psychology 105. And this review is from April of 2017, and it's a five out of five rating. And it starts, I loved her lectures. The tests were sometimes hard because she didn't always specifically say what would be on them, but the online quizzes were straight from the text and very easy. I took her last semester and it was her first semester teaching at Bama. So our first question with this is, uh, how would you describe your first semester at the UA? Was it, you know, very exhilarating, you know, exciting, or was it kind of a stressful uh, beginning, I guess, for you? Do you remember? So my first semester being back, um, after I had graduated, I was gone for maybe six months. And so it was really exciting to be back because I felt like I knew this department. I knew where everything was. I know these type of students. Um, so I was really excited, honestly, to be back and teaching anything uh, at UA. And since they didn't really know who was going to come in, you know, they're like, here's your classes. Some of them I had never taught before. And I'm like, okay, yes. 
um, because I was just really excited to be back. But I'm like, these kids have no idea who I am because it's been a while since I've taught here. Um, and at one point, you know, some of them kind of recognized me when I was in graduate school, but I'm like, it's like a fresh start and it's really exciting. So I was really, really excited. How has your teaching style and outlook on teaching in general changed over the course of uh, these years since you've started? So I guess my teaching style has changed a little bit um, when I was younger and I felt maybe less confident in my ability to stand up there and talk um, because I never wanted to teach in the beginning. It was kind of terrifying to me. Uh, so I relied on a lot of videos, a lot of visual aids and things like that, that, um, you know, PowerPoint's probably way too much information stuffed onto them. Um, and I was probably really fast in my delivery. And so now I've calmed down a little bit. Um, and I think that I rely more on stories and not as many videos. Um, I guess I just feel more confident, especially in my classes that I really, really enjoy teaching um, to present material and not rely on as much, you know, how somebody else did it or somebody else's lectures, um, which is kind of how you learn in graduate school, I guess. This one is Psychology 371, also from April 2017, and it's a four out of five. And it says, Dr. S, as she likes to be called, is super cool. She is young, and in parentheses it says, understanding with multiple exclamation points, and tries to make her lectures fun and memorable. You have a couple of short papers due throughout the semester, but they aren't bad. Attendance is taken most days. Tests are right off the study guide, so if you study, you'll do great. Definitely recommend her. And I have a few questions, but the first one being, and I believe we talked about this earlier in terms of videos and visual examples, but how do you attempt to make your lectures last or stick with students? So I try to tell them stories. Um, unfortunately, they get to hear a lot of stories about my life, my example, my dog. A lot, a lot of my dog, especially in my Slack of Learning class. Here's my dog. Here's some more pictures of my dog. This is a video of my dog. Um, and so I think that helps them to last or I'll tell, you know, a funny story and I'll try to tell stories that relate to them, um, which as I get older, maybe is a little bit more difficult to do. I'm like looking up terms that relate to the young kids today. Um, and so I try to make something relevant in their everyday life or even tell them like even if you're not going to use this today this doesn't matter to you today um in the future here's an example of how this will be you know useful to you make your life better or easier um but i do use a lot of personal stories and examples that you know i think helps to help them hopefully memorize mem you know remember material and we spoke with a professor last week on this and how it attendance can potentially be an issue and professors sort of 
finding out or figuring out how much leeway to give to student attendance or lack thereof. And my question is, what is your outlook on attendance in your courses? And why is it an important aspect of a course that should be graded if it is graded? So that is definitely a complicated topic, especially with some classes that are super large. I've had attendance in some of them before, and I thought that it was maybe distracting or it took too much of my time, or there was a way that people could, you know, get around it. And so it didn't really, you know, have that much of an impact on if they were coming to class or not. And I think in a larger class, it's really hard to, to do. It's just difficult. Um, and it doesn't always do what you intend for it to do. And I think it's probably something that's a little bit more important in smaller classes. Um, and typically in my smaller classes, I have discussion-based topics, so they'll write a paragraph. And I think that at least gives them a voice and gives them a way to you know, share something that otherwise they maybe wouldn't share. I was a person that never talked in class, so I can respect that a lot of people are just like, don't ever want to say anything out loud in class. Um, so that gives them a way to communicate with me. So that's nice. Um, as far as the larger classes, I'm still really honestly debating that topic, even like within myself, if I should have, you know, an in-class assignment or some type of attendance uh, policy at all. And one last comment I wanted to make. This review mentioned um, that you are a very understanding professor, but they connect that with the fact that you're a younger professor. Would you say that there's sort of a generalization that, or a, not a stereotype, but a generalization that younger professors are more relatable to students and objectively better at what they do? And do you agree with that? generalization that's really hard to say I've definitely had understanding professors that are much older um, and a lot of the people I learned from were a lot older I think that the maybe the idea is that younger people maybe understand um, you know the perspective of their life and I was a college student not too long ago, but I think that also being older gives you that opportunity to see that, you know, things do go wrong and, you know, there are issues that students face and circumstances that prevent them from coming to class, finishing an assignment. And I don't think that's necessarily um, age-based. I think I've all, we've all seen examples of people who were really young and really, I don't know, got a thrill out of having power and were maybe even more strict because of that. Like I'm, like the canceling out of the I'm young thing by being overly strict. So I think I can think of examples of people being really understanding, helping me through undergrad and graduate school who were older. Um, but yeah, I think typically they associate maybe younger with you know understanding the life of today but that's not to say that older instructors wouldn't be just as understanding 
and so this is again from Psychology uh, 105, and it's from December of 2017, and it's a 3 out of 5 rating. It starts off with, Dr. S is definitely an interesting character, and her class was fine. It do she does keep it interesting with a lot of YouTube videos, but I felt like there was a fair amount of busy work in the class. The online quizzes and most of the papers, blogs, and blogs weren't entirely necessary, but she's a soft grader. Tests are harder than they should be. Study. So what is your initial reaction and response to students calling some of your assignments like busy work? And which assignments do you think they could be possibly referring to when they say that? So probably the blogs and the chapter readings um, that when I came back to UA and that was like maybe my second semester or so back, um, that I did have a lot of work and um, I've reduced that because I did think it was a little bit much and I've replaced it with some stuff that is more appropriate for an honors level class. They're supposed to be writing in an honors level um, 105 intro. Um, and so I focus a little bit more on that now. But um, we also did in-class assignments and I would have them debate with each other. So that was, I think a lot of them really enjoyed that, but then probably them, some of them also kind of hated it. <laughs> so it was kind of like a hit or miss <laughs> with that. Um, so, but yeah, some of the, the readings and stuff that I had a little bit earlier um, didn't fit as well with older students. My um, early college still does that because I think it's something they need a little bit more structure than maybe my college students who are a little bit older. So I've taken and manipulated some of those even within the same class based on the type of student that I have. And also kind of like a similar topic, are you flattered or more so upset when students call you like a soft grader? Do you think that means you have laid out expectations clearly and students are following through or that you are perhaps not challenging your students enough? So I guess it depends on what, what assignments they're referring to as far as being a soft grader. I don't like to pick out every single detail as far as like if somebody turns in a paper and there's like a comma missing here i think that's really frustrating to me and it's really frustrating to them um so i do tend to give a lot of feedback um, but i don't like to come off as being really harsh and being really particular about um, assignments like that so i guess like if if somebody said, oh, the tests were super easy, I didn't even have to study, I fell asleep through half of them and still passed, like that would probably bother me. <laughs> oh, but if it's like the blogs, the papers, I think, you know, that's probably not something that really hurts my feelings too much. And this is Intro to Psych from February 2018 and a five out of five. And it says, she's so great. I've taken two psych classes before her, so it was an easy A for me. She's really funny and a fair grader. Attendance isn't mandatory, but I still go because it helps with test scores and her lectures were pretty entertaining. Take her. And how do you react to students 
who have taken multiple courses to have you as their professor, would you say it could be a coincidence or have you had students come up to you and explain that they took you for the sake of having you as their professor? And is that a compliment to you, if so? Definitely. I love to see repeat students. That's especially, I feel like, an honor at UA when there is such a selection. Um, so I will actually like scan through when um, students are signing up for classes. I can see their photos and see if I recognize any of them. Um, and sometimes they'll ask me, like this summer I'm teaching, I had a few that were like, hey, what are you teaching in the fall? What do you think you'll be teaching in the spring? Um, I'd really like to take you again. And I'm like, oh, Kelly, that sounds awesome. Um, and um, I'm like, well, I hope to see you again. And, you know, these are the classes I'm taking. So that's definitely a compliment. I've had a few of them that when I first came here, um, my first semester back, they were like, hey, what are you teaching? I'd like to have you again. And I'm like, you know, that, I don't know. That's just like really exciting that there's such a selection and they would want to take my class again. So definitely a compliment. Uh, and so this next review is again, uh, Psychology 105, and it's from December of 2018, and it's another three out of five. And it starts off with, this class was somewhat boring and her lectures were a repeat of high school psychology. Every day we took notes from slideshows that looked the same. The slideshows were not in depth or specific, but the tests were hard. I would not recommend this class. She is an easy grader on papers and small assignments. So what do you think makes Intro to Psych a legit college course versus like a high school class, for example? So I guess just thinking of the difference between mine, my basic 101 intro versus my 105 college course, um, I definitely go more in depth with research. So it's um, articles, references to articles, um, way more in-depth than potentially in high school. And a lot of people didn't have high school psych, and I was one of those people that didn't have Psych 101 until I was a junior here at UA. So I think it's, there are definitely people coming in with the advantage that they've had Psych 101 in high school, but there's definitely people out there that have never been introduced to psychology. So it's kind of a balancing where you have to, you know, make sure to provide enough information that's interesting to people who already have a basis of this, and then also cover your basics for those that have maybe never had psych before. And so now we're going to jump all the way forward to March 2020. This is Psychology 361, and it's a 5 out of 5 rating. It starts with, she pretty much lays everything out you're going to be tested on inner slides very clearly and even gives review days before the test. She's super sweet and wants everyone to pass. Uh, you still have to work for that A though. And so kind of a question we had was, we noticed that there was clearly an improvement amongst student uh, ratings between 2018 and 2020. How do you think your method of teaching changed or possibly transformed between these years? Do you think that you might have gotten used to the flow of teaching and managing student expectations during this time? I think that 
definitely learned new techniques um, and added a lot of new material to Sock of Learning. That's my 361. And um, tried to make it interesting. Probably also because teaching is a process of learning. Um, like I did, I guess I did well in Sock of Learning when I took it what seems like a million years ago, but in the process of teaching it and teaching it and teaching it, um, I have learned this class very well. And I know what tends to be the most difficult part of it so that we, at least when we get to those parts, I can really slow down and give a lot more practice, give a lot more feedback to the material that I'm like, this is gonna be the hard part of your test. This is what you definitely need to review. And we do a lot more of that um, than I used to do when I think that maybe I didn't understand the material as well myself. And so I didn't think about like, oh, this is gonna be the hard part or you know, got their feedback on SOIs or feedback after exams, that kind of stuff. So I think I have changed a little bit. I've added some more stuff in there. And I think that basically just being able to understand it better myself has helped. And this is from Psych of Learning or Psych 361. And it is April 2020, five out of five. And it says, she is so nice and cute. Everything is straightforward. Tests are fair and pretty easy. A lot of extra credit on her test and at the end of the semester. She loves animals and always talks about her dog during lectures. Two easy papers in one project. Cahoots every once in a while and pack back, which is a discussion. Website every week. And where did your passion for animals come from? And how have you made that a key component in your psych of learning class? always had animals growing up we've had deer pigeons i had pet rats i had pet worms um <laughs> my mom would rescue animals and we would take care of them we raised two deer and sent them to like a wildlife refuge where they're totally still running around having a great time today totally um even though that was like 20 years ago um and so I've always loved animals. We have a lot of cows. Our cows are pretty trained. Um, and so just watching my mom love animals and work with animals and my grandmother, um, there's a lot of really good examples out there with training animals. And um, so I kind of, you know, I think the, the term of like training animals tends to get like a, a bad rap, like, oh, you're abusing your dog but I'm like so I try to show them examples this, my dog is safer because he doesn't do these behaviors or he's safer because you know he does this when I tell him to um, and so there's a lot of really great examples out there um, of animals and it's just something that fits really easily because in psych of learning you've got Skinner he's got pigeons and rats and you know that's the examples. I do try to throw in human examples, um, but sometimes that's a little more difficult for me because training animals definitely sounds way better than training people. <laughs> and something I'm sure you would love to talk about, since this review does mention your dog, would you briefly want to tell the listeners about your dog? 
He is a, um, he's at least 10 because he's a rescue. He came from the Humane Society. And um, he is a butterscotch Pomeranian, which means he's white with little brown and black spots. And he's very well behaved. Like he gets that like stereotype where people are like, oh, he doesn't act like a regular Pomeranian. I'm like, he's a precious angel, that's why. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, his name is Sniper because it's a really vicious name for like such a butterscotch dog. Um, but yeah, he's, he is basically just perfect. I will never have another dog like him. So I try to cherish any moment we get to spend together. I'm like, there's never going to be another dog that suits me as well as him. Are there any quirks with Sniper that are your particular favorite or that you've never had with any prior dog or pet? He's just really well behaved. He is a people pleaser. He loves everybody. Um, he is always in a good mood. Uh, my mom's dog is completely the opposite. So it really, you know, exemplifies look how wonderful my dog is. Um, but my mom says, like, he's just not smart enough to figure out that he doesn't have to listen to you. <laughs> but he does listen to me, so. <laughs> and the final review is from last summer. It's intro to site July 2020, five out of five, and it says, Professor S is the best professor I have ever had. She includes her dog in all of her lectures and uses hilarious real life examples to explain concepts and ideas. She makes psychology fun 11 out of 10, would recommend to everyone. Can't wait to take a class with her in person. How would you say you make psychology accessible interesting and exciting for non-psych majors so typically when i set up my my i guess my first day 101 kind of spiel i guess um i'm like psych 101 is the buffet and we are here to snack from all of the buffet of psychology and if you enjoy the buffet like a particular dish then you can go and take a whole class about just that subject. Um, and I'm like, so you might not really like everything on the buffet, but hopefully you'll find something that fits. And I have a lot of my own examples. Like I was a human development major. You might really like the developmental stuff if that's, you know, your major. Or if you're going to be a nurse, hey, this, you know, clinical psych is going to be really important for you. Um, and if you are, I'm a personal trainer. And I'm like, if you are a personal trainer, this reinforcement stuff, this is really important to you. You're going to be in sales, marketing, business. This is all really important stuff. Um, and so I try to make it, you know, where you're going to maybe not take the whole class with you and carry it around forever if you're not a psych major. Um, but you're going to find something in here that's going to help you in whatever career path you're going into, whether it's going to be, you know, implicit bias related to physicians if you're going to be in the medical field. Um, and so hopefully they find something in there that although it's not just like psychology, completely psychology-based, that it's something that helps them um, in whatever career path they choose. Working with children, you know, that's a lot of psychology, definitely. And the last question 
we have for the review section is if you were to pitch to college students the benefits of taking Intro to Psych, how would you convince them to take this course and then to take you as their professor to that course? So as far as taking Intro Psych, probably my first day skill would be pretty relevant there. And like, you tell me what you want to do in life, any career that you want to have, I can probably find a direct way in which psychology benefits you um, and you know whatever field that might be psychology is about people and odds are you'll be working with people somewhere doing something um, and as far as taking it with me I'd be like you like pictures of dogs you want to see my dog um, because it's like he almost needs his own great my professor sniper set like subheading um, but I'd be like, I guess that I can be somewhat entertaining. I try to be understanding. Um, definitely want to make sure that you learn. And I definitely want you to be able to apply things, application-based stuff. Do you believe that Rate My Professor is an accurate or fair model students can use to gauge whether or not to take a professor's course, given that there's so little reviews? especially when it comes to such the lo the large volume classes like Psych 101 that could have hundreds of students per class? I think so. Um, I think it's important. When I was in graduate school, we had a professor that told us when we were looking at our student of opinions of instruction to look at themes and that maybe don't focus too much on the outliers. Definitely, it's my tendency to focus on negative things like that like a negative comment and I'm like you know really focused on it but he's like look at themes you know if you constantly have somebody telling you that you have way too many assignments it's way too difficult um, then that's a theme that you need to address um, as far as anecdotal evidence and whatnot typically I think you probably have a lot of really extremes as far as like really, really had a great time or really hated this person. So it's also important to consider that. Um, but I mean, we look at anecdotal evidence all the time, looking at reviews of products. Um, and definitely rate my professor was something that I looked at. Again, looking at themes, you know, um, major themes, um, good or bad, definitely helped me make some of my decisions in choosing professors back when I was in undergrad and graduate school. And I'm glad you mentioned um, SOIs because we were going to ask you, what are some memorable ones that you remember receiving, whether it be, you know, the good, the bad, or the ugly, as they say? Um, SOIs are definitely important to me. I'm an instructor. This is like what my job is based off of. I don't have research or anything. Um, so I definitely look at them, see my overall ratings and stuff. Um, in that case, you probably have way more of the people in the middle instead of having like two ends of the extreme. So that's definitely beneficial. Um, and as far as like some of the memorable ones, I think I've definitely been told before talks about dogs a lot talks about animals a lot i'm like yeah um, some of those are good some of them are bad some people hate it and some of them don't 
um, one of them said that psychology of learning was manipulative and I'm like, it's reinforcement and punishment. So <laughs> it's, that's what it is. Um, but you know, whatever. Um, and then in some cases I got the Southern accent. I've had that one before. Um, I've had comments about like the way that I dress, like, oh, really fashionable clothes. I'm like, really? Really though? <laughs> um, or like, oh, she's so cool. And I'm like, absolutely not. Just not at all. Not at all cool. Are you looking forward to a new fall semester with fewer COVID restrictions? Absolutely. I like teaching online. I've taught online since 2016. So it helped me to adjust to producing a ton of content online. And I'm so glad that I have all this content now. Um, but I really miss seeing people and seeing their faces because it's one thing to lecture to myself and like have my recorded lectures and my dog like coughing in the background as he does. Um, but it's completely different if I'm like looking at them and I'm like, do you understand the material? And I can get, you know, that yes or no kind of response. Definitely if uh, UA is safe and students are safe, I would love to see them again. I feel like it's been so long. I've had some of that in my summer classes. So it's been really, I can see there. They're still spread out, uh, but I can see their faces. <laughs> All right. And so as we wrap up this interview today, are there any final words or comments that, you know, we might not have asked that you would want listeners to know? Well, no, I just, I find that a lot of faculty, maybe not like every faculty, really want to interact with students i try to be extra cautious and be like don't make it weird and don't force them to talk to you but you know i really enjoy when they do i have some of them that i keep up with from a school that i taught at before ua um, that i love to keep up with what they're doing and i have some early college students that didn't even go to ua when they went to college that still give me feedback on what they're doing and I really enjoy that. And I think that having relationships with faculty and knowing faculty members, interacting with them is something that helped me get through graduate school, get through undergrad. And it's probably the reason why, you know, I have the job that I do now. All the help that I definitely needed through graduate school. Um, it's just really, I think, beneficial. Maybe not every teacher wants, you know, to have pictures of your dog. Um, I love to have pictures and see the dogs. Um, but, you know, I like that kind of interaction where a student can be like graduated or not even in my class two years later and stop by or send me an email with like random things in it. So, All right. Well, we thank you so much for sitting down to talk with us this summer. You've been a great guest and we loved hearing about a sniper. Hope. Give them little kisses for us when you get home, I guess. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, me and Josh are just very thankful. And um, we hope you have a good summer and a um, good start of the fall. Thank you very much. You guys, too. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
And so that was our interview with Allison. Very sweet lady. I loved every second of her combo. Yeah. Very soft-spoken. Also was not expecting that. Josh did warn me about the Southern accent, though. I did. I did. Because it's not it's not something you expect when looking um, on her department, on the department website. Because there's a photo of her and everything. And as we talked about briefly earlier in the interview... She is. She does have tattoos. She does have piercings. She's had colored hair before. I know she's had pink hair before. And I think pink hair is her photo, but I could be wrong. But that's just, I guess it's not something you necessarily expect. It's sort of like the, everything always goes back to TikTok, doesn't it? I swear it always goes back to TikTok. But there's a trend called, not really a trend, but like emos and like, goth people reclaiming southern songs and country songs and calling it the alternative i love that it's similar to that what you see is not what you hear and so i guess people think that's a disconnect because she does have a very um southern accent which i think i thought that was interesting too it surprised me on the first lecture but you warm up to it it's very she's very easy to talk to and her voice is perfectly fine it's just surprising yeah and so kind of trailing off of that just a quick reminder a friendly little reminder instagram twitter we have that you know we rate ratings all one word no capitals no underscores for your information again (laughs) i'm throwing finger guns as monica's (laughs) plugging right you know, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or the Crimson White website for our newest episode when it airs. And again, Twitter and Instagram, they will give you that heads up when that uh, Apple Podcast link is posted. So just follow us. It's easy. Literally one click away when you open an app. It is one click away. And it is a great opportunity for students as well as professors as well as general Tuscaloosa residents and consumers and Tuscaloosa business owners to get their voice heard, be it voicing an opinion on who we think we should speak to, or if you feel that you as a professor or a business owner would like to maybe hear what the people in Tuscaloosa have to say, be it good or bad, and want to have sort of like a go-to theme park roller coaster buddy to strap in on this ride with of course monica and i are here to rip off the band-aid if it were or pat you on the back laughing with you not at you always and if we laugh it's typically out of discomfort (laughs) and we do we're very empathetic people i would say so again you know just reach out to us if you have a particular story that you would like to relay about a professor or a business. We're always open to having student interviews if they want to speak on a professor prior to a professor coming onto our show, coming onto our podcast. We would love to hear from you guys at We Rate Ratings. No periods, no underscores, no rounding decimals, no repeat numbers, and no fractions at We Rate Ratings, Instagram and Twitter. And so with that, we must bid you adieu. Josh, it was nice recording with you today. It was nice speaking to you on this Monday. 
this Monday. Breaking the immersion. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking the fourth wall. It's not a Monday when you're listening to this. Okay, as everything comes to full circle, we will TTYL. Mm-hmm. See you next week. This podcast is a Crimson Y production co-hosted by Monica Nakashima and Josh Liberti. The audio editing and mixing was produced by Monica, Josh, and Crimson Y culture editor Jeffrey Kelly. The introduction song featured is Stardust by Jay Jen, taken from YouTube channel Audio Library Plus, which offers downloadable free and safe music for content creators without copyright issues.